Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth and with me today as always are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 9, Episode 4, which tell Walk Like a Man. The episode aired on October 17th, 2002. Lauren, what was going on that week 21 years ago? First off, I apologize, everybody. I've been staring at a computer for nine hours straight today with no break for work. So if I'm a little more uh, unintelligible than normal, just bear with me because Lord knows Daniel and Lizzie will have to. With that being said, comedian Tom Green and actress Drew Barrymore call it quits after less than a year of marriage, citing irreconcilable differences. I will always recognize them as a couple from his little stint on Charlie's Angels. When she was in the first. Oh one. yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was. Yeah. That was, was around he in that, that time. He yep. wa- he was her boyfriend in that movie. Oh. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, the 2002 World Series is set after the Anaheim Angels and the San Francisco Giants both win their respective league championship series. Daniel, you're our baseball fan. Do you have anything for this one? Uh, nothing in particular. Um, this is. This is the first World Series that I have very, very, very strong memories of watching the whole thing, not just little moments and clips here and there. Like last season's World Series we talked about with the Diamondbacks and the Yankees. I remember game seven of that because that was obviously a very momentous thing and it was all tied up in 9-11 and all that stuff. This one was the first one that I remember like watching and paying attention to on purpose. Mm-hmm. And um, it's uh, it was sort of derided at the time for being a boring world series because it was mm-hmm. the angels and the giants two teams that notoriously people didn't outside of california people really didn't care about mm-hmm. and this was before the giants were the giants that they would become mm-hmm. at the end of the 20 uh, uh, at the end of the 2000s into the early 2010s the even year bullshit yeah uh, san francisco giants <laughs> yeah so like they the the giants were not the uh national powerhouse that they would later become the angels and giants were regional teams like if you lived in anaheim or san francisco you like you followed them but outside of that nobody really cared about them and so like it was seen as sort of a a boring world series matchup and it actually ends up being one of the better world series Mm. all time it uh goes the full seven games uh the giants are up late in game six and then the angels make a miraculous comeback uh and this was uh, the angels were also best known at this time for uh two things they were known for the uh thunder sticks which became sort of ubiquitous in sports after that the inflatable like oh yeah they sort of coined those the the oh. o2 angels um and the other thing that the angels were known for at this time was the rally monkey which was this thing that they played on their jumbotron of a monkey wearing an angel's jersey a little tiny monkey and he would dance on the jumbotron and that was their like they called him the rally monkey and uh so that was the those were the two big claims to fame for the anaheim angels um it is still to date their only world series championship that they have ever won uh and probably ever will at this point uh they they're currently kind of a joke they have the two best players in the entire sport on their team at the same time and they can't win dick so it's not a great time so, to be an angel. Oh, so, he deserves better. <laughs> so, Daniel, I'll laugh because at the start of that, you kind of gave a non-committal shrug, like there wasn't going to be much you had to say about that one, and then you just <laughs> went for it. I mean, I compared to his you. normal baseball breakdowns, that was light. I love it. Uh, moviegoers can't seem to get enough of cannibalism as Red Dragon beats out newcomers The Transporter and Brown Sugar to retain the box office crown. My friend Casey loved The Transporter. He That's... bought the DVD day one, and I think I've seen that movie over a dozen times. Which one's that one? 
It's with Jason Statham. Oh, yep, 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 yep. It's like very when he's like starting that. to get big. Yeah. But like he was obsessed with that movie for some fucking reason. I, I to this day I don't understand why. But maybe maybe I'm thinking of one of the sequels or something. But like it, it seems to me I associate the transporter much more with like my end of my high school experience, like 2007, eight, somewhere in there. Like 2002 seems awfully early for the transporter. I don't know, but I watched I watched it a whole bunch in in his basement on his giant ass tv that he had in his basement that i that I loved going over to play xbox on it's basically the the character that jason statham has been playing ever since yeah <laughs> like, pretty much it's yeah. the character he plays oh and a moment like this by kelly clarkson is the number one song for its second and final week and daniel before we get to what else was on i just want to say everybody we are recording this june 1st so happy pride everybody hey comes out halfway hey. through the month you'll love to see it it's it's illegal for daniel to be straight this month sorry hey Happy to be illegal. Uh, what else was on that <laughs> evening? At 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with the Sharks. At 8.30, Scrubs with My Big Mouth. At 9, Will and Grace with the episode Humongous Growth. I really hope that's a funny I, title. Yep. Because mm-hmm. I... <laughs> oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at 9.30, uh, Good Morning Miami with the episode Swan Jake. <laughs> this week's episode had 25.6 million viewers tuning in. Directed by Felix Enriquez Alcala, doing his 10th out of 12. Uh, He's kind of a a once-a-season guy, so the last time we saw him was last season's Never Say Never. Uh, And written by David Zabel, doing just his 5th out of 44, and the last time we saw him was Orion in the Sky. Uh, And no Romano this week, at least on screen. We do get a a mention of Romano this week, but not on screen. Well, the previous sound this time is brought to us by Corday, and we open with some fucking... (laughs) excuse you how did i put it in the notes uh excuse me excuse me uh slow-mo fucking while the l goes by (laughs) yep because you know this is this is late night television late night over the air television so this ain't cable we ain't getting any butts or tits or anything on here (laughs) i mean we back in season one we got uh, we got some side we got and and we got tag ass we it's had true. tag oh, yeah. all the way back in season one. That's right. We did I get some I just blotted butts. out of my memory. All right. Anyway, uh, Lucas staring at the woman. He They just finished uh, slow-mo fucking. And then again, after he's dressed. Regret. So Luca is being... Trying to medicate with sex. The and, drama. Uh, then we go back to the ER. Um, Abby's cleaning out of... We go back to the ER. We go to the ER. Uh, Abby's cleaning out a fish tank. Yay! We finally have the... The, the, my favorite iteration of the, uh, whatchamacallit, the triage area, the triage area. Yeah. I don't know why I like this one so much more because it seems much more, so much more realistic, I think, mm-hmm. compared yeah. to the other one where they're just kind of like, everyone's just kind of like walking in, chairs, in and just yeah. sitting right across from the nurse's station. Mm-hmm. Like I'm used, I'm used to my Chicago hospitals having a little more security, a little more badge need, needing to get through. Um, and man's complaining about, oh yeah, but I was cleaning out a fish tank. It's their third dead fish this week. And a man who I thought was Pablo for a half second, but I did too. Not. But once we saw later in the episode, I don't think it's him. No, it's yeah. I was complaining about having to wait out in triage now. It's like, oh, you might, you might kill us. Abby says, yeah. <laughs> that's why you have to wait out here. Fish tank is from the quote, hospital beautification committee. That 
Just yeah. okay. I, I don't believe that exists. Uh, but if it did, they would have cleaned the goddamn ceiling tiles already. <laughs> it always yeah, comes right? back to the ceiling tile. I, you yeah. know what? I noticed them again this episode. I'm not letting it go. I would. Yeah. I, I want to put it out there to our uh, listeners, uh, at least to the ones who are handy with Adobe. I really want them to superimpose uh, Carby over one of those dead fish that she's fishing out of that fish tank. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really, I really want the uh, the ship name for. Uh, Abby and Carter to be uh, placed on top of one of those dead fish. But yes, they do have a fully separated triage area now. It is now, you need a ID to get through and it's, you know, there's a security guard there waiting. Yep. And uh, Carter asks Abby how the girls' night went with Susan and Chen and he's kind of eavesdropping as they talk about it and um, people are asking, like, oh, do we have an outlet? Something's coming on TV soon. Something's coming on TV. We don't know what's going on there quite yet. Susan comes in absolutely hungover. And just, again, Carter's like, oh, drinking? What? Like, again, being very, very side eye to Abby as Susan comes in. But we see what's on TV. Carrie is demorating, demonstrating flu shots with two newscasters. And A, this is one of those scenes that I could have sworn we had already had because it's one that sticks out like a sore thumb in my memory. (laughs) So I was like, we had to have done this one already. But um, yeah, she accidentally uses the same needle twice. And I love how she does it. She gives them both the shot and then the guy goes, what's the other one for? Whoopsies. Because she realizes when she does it, she's like, there's nothing to push down because she already gave the medication. So just, oh my God. Um, And the look on her face, absolutely iconic. Just, uh, and we find out why she may be a little bit out of it here in a bit, but just, again, this is one of those scenes that I could have sworn we had already done. Yeah. I I also could have sworn it was a much bigger deal than it ends up. It's kind of just a throwaway gag. Like Like they, they mentioned it a couple times this episode, maybe, but that's about it. Yeah, but I thought that it made. I thought there was a much bigger deal made out of the fact that she did this uh, live on camera. But um, uh, and the other uh, interesting bit about this scene is that our lady newscaster here, uh, who never really gets a name, um, but uh, the actress playing her is something of an oh hey it's that person, uh, Susan Yeagley, who appears in stuff like Almost Famous, uh, the canonical ER movie uh, Coyote Ugly, starring Maria Bello, yep. uh, and uh, in Parks and Rec, where she is uh, the la- the rich lady who's married to like a super old dude. <laughs> oh yeah, she's Miss Pawnee 1994. Miss Pawnee 1994. <laughs> I am just doing a watch through of Parks and Rec now because I'm on a sitcom kick. and Yeah, so... Uh, and we are in with some bangs, and then we see Pratt is talking to the nurse handling opening day triage duty. So Pratt's just being, being, all, sp- being all smooth. Pratt's just being Pratt. Yeah. Uh, and Abby calls back Melanie Shepard, and her son wants to come back, little Bobby. Uh, and Dad says he has. Dad says he has to stay in shares, and yep. And the kid starts crying, and the dad yells at the kid, "Stop crying! Mommy's not going to get any better if you don't knock it off." Parent of the year here, folks. Yeah, Ugh. parent of the year. Uh, Galan is tries to intervene, but ultimately to decides better of getting involved with yeah. someone who's already kind of angry. Yeah, yep. probably for the best. What uh, what was the per- particularly on the curve that you're grading on this week, Lauren? How uh, was the crying kid uh, on the shitty oh. kids list? 
he he may have made it, but then the dad was so fucking awful that I had to side with the kid. Like, right. it's like no, this kid's scared, and he wasn't too precocious about it. So no, though he did look like a miniature of the kid actor who plays Beans. I thought the same thing, and I was like, I was like, oh. Muscle memory, you almost get it just for that. But no, he himself was not terrible. Have you seen, completely unrelated, have you seen any of the clips of the Even Stevens rewatch podcast? Uh, that is uh, the no. Christy Carlson Romano, the, the sister. The Apparently that I've Mandela affected entirely. There was an older brother character on that show. Uh, I've completely Mandela affected him out of existence entirely because I do not recognize him. But even though I watched tons of that show, he's also involved and the kid who played beans who is looking you know looking a little older (laughs) let's put it that way um and yeah i I keep getting clips of that recommended to me i think it's called even more stevens uh but uh yeah if you're a listener of that let us know if it's quality let us know if it's worth our time uh i can't imagine that it is but uh pratt then calls uh gallant an eagle scout for it pratt and gallant are going to be something of a a pairing this episode a pairing that I had this thought as I was doing my notes for this episode uh, and as I was, like, trying to formulate my opinion on this episode. Um, They've gone to this well, like, a couple of times just in the first few episodes of season nine, and they did it a little bit at the end of season eight as well. Um, Like, they keep trying to mash Pratt and Gallant together. Like they keep, and I don't think they've really fully decided how they want to portray them and how they want them to interact and what they want each character to get out of it. But like I'm, I'm curious of just like, do we think that it really is just laziness on the ter- on the part of the writers where they just go, well, we have two new black characters, obviously they have to interact. Like, is there is is there a little bit of that happening, or is it just because they're both med students and like, I mean, I, well, they're they're not both med students, but they're both in similar similar I, spots. Part of me has to wonder if because this is the first time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time where we've had two. I'm going to say two male black characters that are of, like, peerage. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I'm thinking about it. It's like, yeah, you had Benton, and in the beginning you had, why can't I think of her Dance. name? Oh, oh, no, yeah, uh, no. Langworthy. Yeah, in the beginning, Benton and Langworthy could have been similar to this. Sure. They've tried to do it several times when, like, um, like when Benton was starting to mentor Gant. Right. Student he talks teacher. about it a little bit. So, like... They've they've kind of gone to this a couple of times, but I feel like this is the first time where maybe they're like, oh, we have room to explore this as part of actual arcs. Yeah. Like, because they couldn't do it with, like, they touched on it a little bit with Benton and Cleo, but again, Cleo wasn't a full person, so they couldn't do it there. Sure. So, like, this might be them going, shit, maybe we finally have room for it. And also a little bit, hey, we have two black characters and they need to do something. But I'm choosing to be optimistic and think that this is go- them realizing, hey, this is a good opportunity. Yeah. So. yeah. It was just a kind of a thought I had. Like I said, they, they seem to really be honing in on that pairing in the early parts of this season. Um, but we see uh, Chen talking about taking some self-defense classes. Understandable, given what happened to her last week. Uh, Stella is back for Gallant. Apparently, she's been in four times in the last week, um, which is... A little bit uh, hyperbole, considering that this episode picks up right where the last one left off. (laughs) So hasn't had really time to rack up that many appearances. Um, Carrie is now doing HIV testing on the two newscasters, uh, and we get quite possibly the most 2002 line in the entire episode. here. Just in time for Pride. Right, just in time for Pride, where the... uh, 
the male newscaster uh, is saying that he wants he wants everything checked because the other the female newscaster quote used to date a bisexual, whatever that means. Means that the so, dude might have had sex. I know. I, I know what it. I knew what it meant. No, I, I know, just, but. <laughs> Uh, biphobia is also a real thing too. right and then she replies back with the not much better line of he wasn't a bisexual just open-minded and i don't even know what the fuck that means right that's quite possibly the more confounding of the two lines it's more a uh, bisexual that's true yeah that's... i didn't like why would you say uh why... as, as if so, as if bisexual a bise- is a noun yeah yeah fair because uh, i guess yeah my brain just autofills to a bisexual person so yeah, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. You're missing Sorry. a word there. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, but uh, we then see Carrie trying to get up to speed on some admin stuff. We find out there's no acting nurse manager because uh, Halle <laughs> said, fuck this noise and uh, stepped down from being nurse manager several months ago and they haven't replaced anyone in all the chaos. Uh, and then she cryptically asks Abby to see her in her office later. So, rip row. Uh, we then go over to Gallant with Stella, and she, with one of the lines of the episode, says that Carter looks like Howdy Doody. <laughs> which I don't know, like Howdy Doody. Right, I don't like Howdy Doody. Uh, and then Gallant uh, is trying to make the case that she should go up for some cardio monitoring, and Carter uh, pushes back, saying that that's a little bit premature. We will see much more of this throughout the episode. It's our through line. Hello. So Susan's working with a patient. Uh, you're getting a wound. Carter sort of unprofessionally starts talking about all the partying and drinking. And Susan admits she's hungover while she's caring, while she's doing doctor things. I would, I would be like, peace out. I'm out. Bye. Like, <laughs> well, there's a at least a canonical reason why this person doesn't object to that. But yeah. Oh. But yeah, he's being nosy about if Abby. Uh, Carter's being nosy if Abby was drinking. Uh, now it's Abby for being an alcoholic. Piece Susan's, of shit. Yep. Susan says that Abby doesn't drink that much, and Carter's like, what's not not that much? Susan tells Abby that Carter ratted As she ratted should. Her out. Yeah. And she's like, I don't care. If you want to talk, great. If you don't want to talk, that's fine, too. It's between you and Carter. And that's exactly how it should be handled. Good job, Susan. Because it's none of her business unless Abby wants to make it. None of your fucking business. Good job. Stay out of it. Not not to disparage Susan, but I'm just saying no. she approaches it the right way. Le, le, white man devil's advocate uh, pedantry coming in here. Oh, God, go for it. <laughs> I just want to ask, is there a level of nuance that allows both for Carter to be wrong about this and for it to not be unreasonable for him to wonder and or maybe a little bit of assumption that Susan, being Abby's close friend, would know? Like, yes, he's still wrong. That's the superseding thing here is that he, he's wrong and he shouldn't have said it in the first place. But I do sort of understand from a brain fart standpoint of being like, oh, I just assumed that she knew because they're close friends. Like, I, yeah, I, like there, I think there uh, might be, I, I think there might be a layer of innocent mistake in there. Like, I don't think he maliciously oh, I, was trying to, I don't. Her. I don't think he maliciously was like trying to out her either. I think it was just a moment of, Oh, I'm going to say this and it's going to give me so much shit. I had a way of, I was saying it and then it's gone. I think it's a moment of Carter looking out for Abby, Mm. air quotes, looking out for Abby and 
like, I don't know if he maliciously meant, like, well, she's an alcoholic. She shouldn't be drinking. But I think he's, like, it's in her best interest for Susan to know. I also agree with you that it's very possible he could have thought, well, they go out together. Maybe she told her, and so she's not drinking when they go out. Like, mm. it's very easy he could go one way or the other on it. But I'm I'm just choosing to think that he lovingly was just, not necessarily disclosing, but right. that he brings it up because... He's like, no, you guys go out. You're her friend. You should know this. Yeah. I don't know. So, just, that, again, uh, just a thought. Abs- no, I appreciate that devil's advocacy. That's a good one. Uh, and the patient here who uh, we'll, we will sort of revisit throughout the episode, Thomas, uh, he, who we, f- I don't think we find out here, but you kind of can get, you can get a little bit of the idea and you get it confirmed later in the episode. He's dealing with Alzheimer's um and is dealing with you know some memory issues and stuff um so that kind of comes up throughout this episode he is played by actor willis burks the second who appeared in stuff like king of california everything's jake and speaking of jake uh did a, <laughs> did a voice in the chronicles of riddick game uh shout out to best of wineborn for that one uh and a, a joke for only three of us because none of our listeners would care enough to watch that video exactly uh and willis here unfortunately did pass away in 2010 Oh, goodness. And then, um, God, my notes were shit this week. Uh, Abby, sorry, guys. Abby um, and Susan go to the bathroom to talk about it further, where Carrie drops a needle in the stall and then looks very uncomfortable and startled. Or no, I'm sorry. She, her face, like, when she drops it, she's like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. And then she, you know, is like, well, they saw me. So she picks it up and comes out and... Susan and Abby look very startled and uncomfortable when she comes out and greets them. And then after Carrie walks out, the girls are speculating on what the syringe was as they walk out to admit. And then a gentleman, because this um, episode couldn't have its, like, couldn't be winking any harder, there's a man asking at admit when it's his turn and where the nearest bar is, clearly uh-huh. either hungover or a little bit inebriated. Again, right in front of Carter and Abby, so there's, like, side looks, because this episode should also just be subtitled Side Looks the Episode. Um, and Susan... <laughs> this was a throwback. <laughs> this was a goddamn core memory unlocked right here. Uh, Susan is texting on one of those pagers that they used to have where it was just for texting uh, when Abby says that um, her alcoholism just isn't something she discusses fair but going back to those pagers i remember i don't know if my sister had one or like one of her friends had one but i was probably 11 here 10 here 10 i was 10 here when this was going on and i thought they were the coolest fucking thing ever like i wanted one so bad i this is one of those early core memories of being like fuck this is cool i want this Mm. so just sharing i i Core memory unlocked when I saw that page. Just like, like my damn. oldest brother and his Palm Pilot, I wanted one immediately. Oh, yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I had, a, I had a, my older brother also had a Palm Pilot, like, when it was a, a new newfangled bit of technology. I also feel mm-hmm. like those pagers, that that is a, a reference that is contained solely within this time period. Like, I feel like yeah. if the, Oh, it's if like that a episode, year, maybe. If, the, if this episode comes out six months earlier or six months later, this reference yep. will not make sense. Yeah. <laughs> but it's they only maybe- for late 2002. They were like maybe a year. Listen, older listeners can tell us if we're wrong, but it seems like it was that very short period of time. But then, uh, speaking of things that have outstayed their welcome, Kason is down to check on Stella, 
And he tells Gallant that it's nothing serious and is like, oh, here, give this course of treatment. It's fine. She doesn't need to come up to cardio. Uh, Pratt walks by and he goes, you still work here? Which, which was which a great line read. absolutely killed me. It was so good. Like, this actor, yeah, we hate Kaysen, but that was so good. Kaysen's um, on point this episode. And then he's like, Gallant's like, well, no, I think it should be this. Like, we should really consider this. And Carter walks by and he goes, uh, you know, you... You're going to let your students talk to this way? They need to learn, not talk back, blah, blah, blah. And um, apparently Gallant had only checked her records back the last two years, and she had been cathed previously. And I, again, need to ask, what happened to that change of heart that happened when he had his goddamn heart attack and Susan oh, saved his was... life? <laughs> that was forever. Yeah, that was, that was another lifetime. I know, but still. He's gotten plenty of time to get old and curmudgeon again. Ugh. And then Abby grabs Carter to confront him about telling Susan. Great, okay, that doesn't last very long because a new trauma comes in, to which Pratt announces that based on the DBI dirtbag index, this guy's likely to be fine. His name is Felix, and he is apparently part of the military, and we will see more of his stuff in a bit. And uh, we finally get our we get our first bit of Corday this episode. She's trying to get us a signature from Thomas, uh, the aforementioned alzheimer's patient uh we don't know as alzheimer's at this point um but he's he's definitely very spacey and very forgetful here uh he's, she's trying to get a signature of consent for a surgery that his wife needs his wife margaret who's woken up and uh but thomas feels unable to sign for her surgery but she has a fractured spleen Bleh. how does Just, how is how can you fracture an organ like ah uh, yeah, that, I, I pretty, sorry, I pretty okay, much only on. hear that in reference to the spleen too. Like, Same. I feel like I don't. You don't, you never hear about a fractured stomach or a fractured lung. It's always you hear about fractured penis. I, that's, that's not a so, well. I guess uh, if you, well, you I go was going to say that's not an organ, but technically it is. It is, and yeah. and it is, te- but it's not. It's not I, an internal organ. In, I had the exact same intrusive thought the minute we said fractured organs, but I was trying not to say it. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> right, leave it. Know, leave it to Lizzie. It. The uh, <laughs> the walking intrusive thought. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether to be. I don't know how to take that. So I'm gonna keep moving. Uh, but yeah, she no, doesn't want surgery. Perfect. She doesn't want surgery because Thomas couldn't cope without her. Because he, we can now we get confer- confirmation that he does in fact have Alzheimer's. Yes. And who plays Margaret here? Margaret is played by actress Mae Mercer, who had kind of an old school Hollywood career. I mean, I, I say old school, you know, relatively speaking. She appeared in a lot of stuff in the 70s uh, to include stuff like The Beguiled, Homer and Eddie, and the Clint Eastwood classic Dirty Harry. Uh, and uh, she did, unfortunately, also pass away in 2008. So both halves of this couple are no longer with us. And this is really the only time we deal with Margaret personally. She's uh, pretty mm-hmm. much just a referenced character from here on out uh thank you i inadvertently just remembered i was googling fractured spleen uh but we have we go back to the trauma patient that was being wheeled in felix and this is the only time i get to note whose films are those it still feels weird when i have to do it myself um and he had a seizure after what we are assuming is a night of partying they say he's postictal give him some dilantin get him get him stable and Carter's asking his buddies, like, did you prank him? We need to know anything that might be in his system. Is there anything that wouldn't show up on the talk screen? Like, was it just drinking? Just trying real hard to cover all his bases. 
And uh, Gallant tries to talk to this guy's friends about the army, saying, like, oh, yeah, I'm doing medical corps or whatever. And his dickbag friends are like, oh, well, I've done service, and <laughs> you haven't seen action. Let me wave my penis. <laughs> Nobody clipped that out. Um, <laughs> um, Go ahead. Wow, that threw me off. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Pardon my French here, but these guys are not only uh, army guys. They are... Uh, or marine guys or whatever whatever branch they're in they're also they also say that they are special forces guys which means you know that Dicks. that like you know equivalency for equivalency's sake these are the guys that killed Osama bin Laden basically is the the level of the level of badass that they are supposed to be and and for you know pardon my french these are the twinkiest fucking special forces guys i've ever seen in my life <laughs> like happy pride month they are they are like abercrombie models that they slapped a couple of uh you know fake military uniforms on i don't buy these guys not only do i not buy these guys as special forces i don't buy these guys as military at all i mean maybe they are maybe they could be you know the military uh, of course takes all kinds all shapes but it was still just like come on special forces really okay okay guy i just you know, and I was watching this episode with Jen, too, and she was like, they don't look like special forces. <laughs> like, she was like, I've seen she's like special forces are not always the like jacked, you know, incredible Hulk guys that you imagine them to be. She was like, but when they aren't those type of guys, she's like, they usually are are like just still like barrel shaped dudes with beer, but beer bellies. Like, she's yeah. like, they're not they don't look like these guys. They don't look like they're 80 pounds soaking wet. They're goddamn Keith Lee. Uh, but uh, we then see a next pa- next patient, a woman coming in with her daughter. Uh, the daughter, we're suspecting UTI at this point. It burns when she pees and she has a low-grade fever. Uh, Mom starts doing a bit of flirting with Luca, who, as we saw at the beginning of the episode, is on a bit of a horny streak. Gross. Uh, I'm just, I just have to say, we're only this far in the episode. Jesus. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Sorry. The the this young dense motherfucker. Young girl uh, clearly sees what's going on here. Apparently, this is not mom's first rodeo, uh, and Ugh. tries to defuse the situation by saying that she's hungry and can she get her some food. Uh, mom here is played by actress Catherine Lanasa, who appeared in stuff like The Campaign, Valentine's Day, and Truth Be Told. And we go uh, over to the nurses station. Abby asked, "Hey, Jerry's back." Uh, Abby asked Jerry if her labs are back, but. He's like, no, but check out this uh, origami swan I made. Oh, it's a goddamn crane, so, Jerry. Get it together. Right, he's so yeah, proud of it. Crane, excuse me, my bad. No, no, I I, he says swan. I'm correcting him, not you. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But I love origami. It's so, it's so cool. It's like the one, only the the one form of art that I've ever been good at. Uh, but it, the uh, girl is wheeled out of her room and chats with Abby about what they were supposed to do today, and Abby wheels her to the fish tank for some. Because she because she mentions that she was supposed to go to the aquarium. And, oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. that gotcha, that gotcha. fell through because of this. So uh, they go to, off to the fish tank as a substitute. It's like, do I even watch these episodes? I real I do, but like, I mean, this this we'll get into it as we get closer to the end of the episode. But this episode is, uh, I think, for the first time in a long time, you could truly call this episode filler. Like, there is not much going on mm-hmm. that matters in this episode. Uh, okay. But uh, our the patient who was brought into the, with the military guys, he's back. No head trauma on his CT. They did pump out his stomach with charcoal just as, a, you know, just to be on the safe side. Uh, he's starting to come to. Can't see. That's obviously not great. 
Uh, we will find out why he can't see in just a little bit. Uh, this is the first time we're really getting a chance to see Felix uh, clearly, so which is ironic considering that he can't. Uh, but uh, Felix here is played by actor David Barrera, who appeared in stuff like Monsters, Bosch, and NYPD Blue. Uh, he, I believe that uh, he is the high watermark actor for the episode. 113 credits to his name. Good for him. Uh, Abby's showing off the fish, and the girl says Abby may be overfeeding the fish, and... Hmm. Forget what the I think it's about context. like her, I think it's about if she's a good nurse, even if she's right. a shitty it, fish care. It is a yeah. bizarrely ham fisted exchange between those two. Like she asks Abby for no reason. It has no bearing on her treatment, and she has shown no like up to this point, no lack of confidence in Abby's ability as a nurse. And then all of a sudden she just like precoci- precociously asks, like, Are you a good nurse? And then yeah. Abby and gives Abby her this said, like goofy like blah 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 response. I didn't like. Yeah, it. I'm technically proficient despite attitude issues. And okay, girl's parents are getting divorced. Good for her. All right, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, like I just I don't know. Something about that scene just like really irked me. I didn't. I did not like the energy or the vibes of that scene. Like it felt so ham fisted, and I just eh, it it left like a sour taste in my mouth. Ah. <sighs> Just this next part. Uh, Susan. God damn it, Susan. Susan is looking for some contrast and she sees the girl's mom walk out from the storage closet. And then Luca right behind is they're both kind of getting dressed. And she just looks at Luca knowingly and he goes, I misplaced an x-ray. I checked everywhere. Just God, precious idiot. That's not how this works. Um, including on that woman's boobs. you know what you know what that felt like that that exchange there that felt like we have doug ross at home like that felt like yep. that felt like we want to make we want to we really want to lean hard into this croatian Clooney thing and we really want to make him the new doug and bless goran vishnik bless luca he is many things but doug ross he is not and he cannot pull off the playboy thing nearly as no. efficiently or as affably as Clooney was able to and no. it's just it's not a good look on him. And I know that like we talked about it before, there's there's justifications for why he may behave the way he does this season. But I also think this season is a little bit of a failed experiment to try to replicate some of the character traits that we did before with Doug of like, oh, he's a playboy who learns from his mistakes and ultimately finds his way back to his true love. OK, man, he just can't pull it off nearly as well as Clooney did. And then uh, Susan and Abby gossip about Susan finding Luca and. <laughs> Susan goes, is that a, you know, common treatment method in Croatia? And Abby goes, oh, they call it alternative medicine, which absolutely kills me. And then she's like, she's like, you should talk to him. And Abby goes, no, it's not my business. You fucking talk to him. You're the attending. And Susan goes, I'm not the sex police. I I love Abby's attitude about the whole thing. Like, I love because she's like, she's willing to acknowledge because like she asked her at one point, she's like, she's like, were you guys just doing it in here all the time? She's like, no, we usually stuck to beds. And then, (laughs) but then at the same time, it's not, she's not jealous. She doesn't care. She doesn't want to be involved. Like, she's just like, yeah, it's fine. (laughs) He's a big boy. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Um, And then Gallant and Carter are talking about Felix's labs and they, uh, Gallant says, oh, it could be quinine, quinine, quinine. Mm -hmm. Fuck. This is in tonic water. Why can't I think about it? It's Uh, quinine. Thank you. It's it could be quinine that he can get from the service for anti-malaria medication, and it would not show up on the labs because it's not a commonly abused substance. Yeah. Fun stuff all around this episode. Uh, so the mom's 
flirting with Luca, telling him he should. Oh yeah, you should come to Milwaukee sometime. Uh, Which okay, I want to. I want to throw a throw a, <clears throat> a wrench in these things. This is weird, right? The, oh, the, it's totally the, weird. That's the, the whole point. Well, no, I I, well, no, I mean, not the whole situation, but this interaction specifically is weird. The post-coital hallway flirting. Like, they've made right? it clear that they've already banged. So, like, yeah. why are they still, like, coyly talking to each other, twirling their hair in the hallway? I don't understand that. Like, it's, I'm not saying they need to, like, ignore each other's existence and, like, you know, hook up thing and, like, oh, well, let's pretend the other one never existed. But it just still seems strange to me that they're playing this, like, coy, like, oh, flirty, you should come hang out sometime. It's like, you were up in her guts in the closet, like, oh. six minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> like, there it is. My dude. I was trying to be nice about it. My dude. <laughs> like, there is no reason to still be having this conversation right now. Like, I... At least not the, at oh. least not in the flirty like, oh, isn't this fun way that they're doing it. Like, if you want to talk, talk. But like, let's not pretend like what just happened in there didn't just happen. Like, come on, man. Yeah, uh, well, Daniel, <laughs> I I needed that laugh today. I think, gross. Ah, uh, it's always gonna be one of us that makes Lauren rip her headphones off. All right. I didn't. She no, didn't. She hung didn't. in there. She's a you trooper. Just- Buried your head in your hands. All right. But Susan tells him they need to discharge the girl. And one of my, the most memorable Susan quotes, at least to me, when you're waiting on a patient's lab results, it's not necessary for, necessary for you to boff that girl's mother in a storage closet. <laughs> also just the term boff. What the fuck, Susan? I mean, again, we're not cable. Right. You can't. We, we can't say. You can only go so far. Yeah. Can't say racier things. Oh, boy. And just as we're uh, absorbing that, turns out that the labs are back from the girl. It looks like it's bad news. So, gonna be a great job, Luca. A little awkward for Luca and his penis this episode. Uh, <laughs> we then see, sorry, Lord. Uh, we then see uh, Felix, who still hasn't heard back from his girl. Uh, he is starting to see shapes, so that's an improvement. Uh, Galat comes in and talks to him, tries to ask him about his service, and is able to kind of tease out that uh, Elena, his girlfriend, uh, cheated on him and or left him, and that's what kind of precipitated the uh, attempt, let's say. Uh, he, uh, of course, doesn't want anyone to know about this because it means that he'll likely, uh, he would likely be discharged, particularly from the uh, highly specialized job and uh, unit that he is in. Um Jen was, uh, again, she was watching this episode with me, and she was uh, speculating before the the reveal of why he actually did it. She, her speculation was that he didn't want to go back overseas. Like, he didn't want to go back to whatever mm. war zone they just came from, uh, which would have also been a valid reason. Um, but uh, we then uh, go back over to the uh, little girl who's teasing Abby about the fish, uh, and then Luca comes in to give uh, give the news about the lab results. Uh, they're going to need a renal ultrasound, uh, and uh, Abby then wheels the girl out to go get checked out, and uh, Mom is asking Luca if uh, she should be scared, and yeah, probably. Uh, then Carter grabs Abby for some help. She offers to hang around when Carter gets off, and like, it's like, oh, get a burger and a shake, and maybe get see if you get lucky. It's like, that's the best offer I've had in... Since middle yeah. school, or whatever, yeah. he says, ugh. Yeah, it's the best offer I've had since oh, middle school good, or something like great. that. Great. Let's refer please let's refer back to yep, Carter's yep, adolescent yep. sexual history again. We were yes, we yes, were just yes. so desperate for that. 
They just do some couples bickering, whatever stuff. Uh, Weaver sent a memo saying that Abby is the new new nurse manager, though. And Jerry asks, "You kids fighting?" And she and Abby just says, "Shut up, Jerry." This- I love how he goes. I'm just helping you sail the troubled waters of love or whatever the fuck he says. I, it's Jerry. Poor, he says all the fucking Jerry shit. just keeps catching strays this episode. Like they, they fuck up his uh, origami and tell him to shut up when he's genuinely asking about uh, their love problems. Like just come on, leave baby Jerry alone. Can, can we all just talk about again, how excited I am that Jerry's back. Uh, chef kiss. And I may or may not be looking up to see if he did a voice work in Diablo 4, because I haven't seen if he did yet or not. But that doesn't matter right now. Uh, Jerry then goes on to say that Felix is being moved up to the psych ward for being suicidal, because Gallant's like, hey, like, what's what's going on with this bed? What, Why is this like this? And it's because Pratt noted on the chart and called psych against the patient's wishes. And Gallant bursts in to confront him while he's in the middle of working with another patient. Gallant, my dude, come on. Uh, we get some wonderful Gallant versus Pratt tension here. And Pratt's like, you need to learn to stick up for yourself. And goes on to say, we're both trying to fit in here. I'm doing it by being a man. Different different uh, definitions of masculinity going on in here. That's okay. We got room for everybody's, but not really. Uh, then Stella is crashing and Carter starts doing CPR with Gallant doing compressions in the hall. Because remember, she didn't get a damn bed. She was in a gurney. Um, And I can't remember who asks, shouldn't she have been on a monitor? But somebody does, and they're like, yeah, she fucking should have. But it's time for the crash cart, and they're like, should we do this in the hall? Let's move her. They move her into trauma. And um, they're in trauma, waiting for Kaysen. And Kaysen comes in going, ho-ho, the girl who cried wolf. Piece of shit. Um, Y'all, I had a day today. I'm, fuck it, whatever. Uh, No, Kaysen's a bitch this episode, so... I can be too. Um, but then Corday and Thomas, he's okay. And she's telling him about Margaret's condition. And please, let's keep my week going great because he's not lucid. And he says, Margaret who? All right, I'm done. Y'all can finish. I'm. All right. Well, let's take a, take a moment here. We got our first audio clip. Finally, finally says something, uh, something of value in this episode. Um, we're back to Stella, and they are unable to bring her back, and then, which leads Gallant to confront Kaysen. Call it. Time of death, 1657. Is there any family we need to talk to? Uh, nobody. She didn't have nobody. Frequent flyer with atypical presentation. 99 times out of 100, nothing happens to this patient. You go with the odds. If you like to gamble. Sometimes there's nothing else you can do. You'll learn that soon enough. Progressive symptoms of uh, dyspnea, suggesting cardiac ischemia. Go on. I bet you missed the signs. She was a baddie self-medicating hypochondriac. Who you did not feel like dealing with. Let it go now. If she had been admitted, we could have picked up the VTAC. We could have gotten her back with early cardioversion. If you felt that strongly about it, maybe you should have spoken up. He tried to. Is anyone talking to you? Dr. Casey, with all due respect, you're the chief of cardiology. Glenn is a fourth-year medical student. Exactly, and I offered him my expertise and guidance. And what did they get me? What did they get her? Nothing! She is dead! Easy, son. I am not your son. Brad, take him for a walk. Let's go. All right. 
Well, are you training doctors or pit bulls? He's upset that we lost her. Well, maybe you should have put her on a monitor. Maybe you should have paid a little bit more attention. Patient care is all about taking calculated risks. I thought it was about taking care of the patient. <laughs> wow. You know, it's really something the way you all stick together down here. Mikey, listen. What you did in there, that was a man. That's what being a man is. That's what, come here, listen. Okay, hey, guys, yeah. come on, guys, come on. Calm down. Do not call me Mikey. I'm sorry, I hate the pit bull line so much. Yeah, it's only There's a something about obviously. Yeah, I was gonna say, thank you, Lizzie. You took the words right out of my mouth. There's something about it. It just feels a little racist. That, that and the sun thing too, like Whew. Kason, you're towing a line there, my dude. No, he's just, we are... he's just downright uh line dancing on it. I thought we already did the racism episode with Ben down south. It's true. It is true. Kason. Racism's cured. Yeah, we're good. Whew. But, yeah. This is one of my favorite Galant moments. It is a good one. Don't call me Mikey. Yeah. Whew. It still says it kind of like in his sort of like meek, uh, meekly, yeah. like, I don't like more softer tone. Do not call me yeah, Mikey. You can't really. <laughs> restrained. You, you can never quite escape. Yes, restrained. You can, you can never you. quite escape the earnestness of the Michael Galant character. Like, it never quite goes completely away. Just always there. Um, but yeah, Carter then goes to check on Pratt. Uh, Galat is uh, off sitting in curtains, uh, cooling off. I was wrong. He's actually sitting in the trauma room with Stella's body. Oh yes, yeah, that is true. He, he Which he's taking, so that was my taking bad. that very personally of as you as, as you might imagine. Um, Abby then goes off to try to tell Carrie that she's not interested in being nurse manager. Uh, and uh, Carrie, <laughs> Carrie tries to interject at one point by saying that uh, the position does come with a raise. Abby protests further and then reconsiders and is like, well, how much of a raise? Like, let's, let's talk about this. <laughs> like, everybody's got a price, you know. Uh, and then we do see, again, not in the episode, but still manages to make an impact. Uh, Susan uh, shows Carrie a cactus that was uh, left for her at the admit desk from Romano uh, and we get an excellent line delivery from uh, Laura Innes when she reads the card her reaction is perfect <laughs> it's so good ah. alright let's go to our next audio clip here Glond is still over, standing over Stella's body when Carter comes in hey uh, Pratt wants you to hit him on the other side of the face kind of even things out well, she had a daughter who died in a car crash she's been alone since then You know, Kaysen knows what happened in here today. Ah, he was right. I backed down. That's not how I saw it. Ah, I always back down. We're supposed to be saving people's lives, and sometimes it just seems like we end up fighting each other. I mean, I, sh I should have fought for her. I could have tried harder with Kaysen, too. Uh, she was my patient. <clears throat> Oh, she trusted me. She'd be alive now if I wasn't so scared of being wrong. Everybody gets scared. Not Pratt. <laughs> sure he does. Why do you think you act so cocky all the time? Everybody that comes in here does. But you learn to work through it. Well, when does that happen? As soon as you've killed a patient. 
just did. No, you didn't. Maybe you won't have to. Don't stay in here for too long. Hey guys, did you remember that Carter's the lead character on the show? Hey guys, <laughs> hey guys, hey guys. Uh, hey. I, hey, now, now. There's plenty of time for that, and there's plenty of times, there's plenty of opportunities to uh, drag Carter's name through the mud this episode, and in all, and all the episodes that have preceded and will follow it. But uh, I don't hate this uh, little minute and a half. Like, I, I feel like it's probably some of the better, the better stuff of Carter we get out of this entire episode. That's fair. But yeah. But still, it just I don't know why. Oh, they're they're I don't know who else I don't know who else could have come in at this right. point. They're but. they're they're laying it on thick, uh, for sure, and it's just, you know, it it's it's one of those moments that if you take it in a vacuum, it looks a lot better, but when you put it into the larger context of everything that is around it, it gets lost in that shuffle of like, you know, John Carter's the main character now, like, you know, just beating you over the head with it. Uh, but if this if this if this scene would have happened last season when it when Carter was still just one of the guys and wasn't the Mark heir apparent, you know, wasn't the wasn't the successor to the emotional core of the show that they're trying to make him to, out to be. I think that scene works a lot better and is is more is uh, more well remembered because I don't really hear people talking mm-hmm. about this moment ever as like a thing positive or negative about Carter it's just never mentioned and I I, I think it's actually I, I it's actually for my money it's one of the more believable moments of of Carter's development as a leader since Mark died it's one of the more believable instances of him actually taking on some of that Mark mantle I just want to take the opportunity to shit on Carter I I, I, haven't I, really love had good, I haven't really had one this I episode. love a good opportunity to shit on uh, Carter don't get me wrong um but then Abby and Luca are talking about Marlene, the girl with the horny mom, and she got she has bilateral renal scarring, and they're just like, how did no one in Milwaukee ever catch this? And it's always Milwaukee, Lucas. It's always Milwaukee. <clears throat> thank you. And Luca says, I know, never sleep with a patient's mother. <laughs> to which Abby quips, at least not until the labs are back. These Fun two fact, are I have so. A sc- Fun fact, I have a scarred kidney as well, according to my last CT result. Yeah, but yours isn't from scary shit now. That's true. It's from scary shit when I was a kid. You're fine. I'm glad oh, you're... Am I, though? I'm glad am you're though? fine. Your kidney's fine. I'm glad you're fine. Yeah, my what happens? fine. What happens next? Anyway, we go to another audio clip here. Uh, Abby's chasing Carter out into the ambulance bay. Hey. Hey. I thought you were on till seven. And Deb's covering the shift change. I'll call you later. Okay. Hey, I'm not really sure what we're not talking about. Can't just wait until we're both off duty. Well, who's angry who? I'm not angry. Okay, and I never lied to you. Well, I guess I must have talked myself into something. Well, let's figure it out. No, I agreed not to rescue you or help you or fix you, so... I'm just going to shut up and wait for the car ride. Wait a minute. What is that supposed to mean? Well, Abby, we both know where this is going. No, I don't. And you know, everything would have been fine if you had just come to me in the first place. Well, then I'm the overprotective boyfriend. You know, I'm not drinking to get drunk. I'm hardly drinking at all. Good night. Okay, wait. 
Do you want to know how much I've been drinking? Last night I had two beers. Uh, Wednesday I had a Cosmo. Last week I had nothing. The week before that I had a beer and a pink drink. I don't know what it was. You're keeping very close track. Yeah, because it's under control. Well, I just don't understand why you'd want to go back to that. I was drinking last year. You knew that. Well, it was a little different then. Yeah. Now it's not about being scared and alone. Still drinking. Look. Look. Wait. I used to drink because I was miserable. I was in a lousy marriage. I had a life I didn't want, and now I'm happy. With you, things are good. And being able to have a casual drink with my friends just makes me feel like I'm past the bad part. Okay. You know, maybe, maybe I just have a little bit more faith in me than you do. Oh, is that how you translate my concerns? Not having faith? I don't know. Yeah. Carter. Let's not do this. All right, look, I'm a pro at walking away. I've done it one million times, and I'm asking you, please, don't do this. Stay here and talk to me. Please, please. All right, we have to talk about the rain at the beginning of that scene. <laughs> I don't know if it was uh, as... The not rain? Uh, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know if it was as apparent to you guys watching as it was to me, but, like, so they're, they're standing in the ambulance bay, Far enough away from the door that it is impossible for them to be under any kind of awning whatsoever. And to the side of them, there's the drainage pipe for the ceiling. And there is a river of water coming out of it. Like, it is clearly pouring down. There's, like, tons and tons of water gushing out of this pipe. And both of them are bone dry. Like, there is not mm -hmm. a drop of water on either one of them. Okay. I wasn't no, they, they are completely, I completely missed it. Completely both bone dry until they walk like a little bit further, and then like his hair gets a little bit of a sprinkle on it, and then they walk, they change shots, and it's fully pouring, and then they're both like soaking wet. But it was just like, yeah. guys, <laughs> I know that like HD TVs make a difference, and I know that the these things were never meant to be seen on like giant sixty inch TVs and you know whatever. But it's still just like, come on now, like you couldn't have done a little oh, bit of rain. Speaking of. Speaking of come on now, uh, the Armitage stop, come on. Right. We've established that Chicago and Franklin is the if stop anywhere. of choice for county general users. Also, to shit on Carter, that passive-aggressive bullshit of I'll just watch the car crash, like, ugh. So yeah, mad. Yeah, I really, so, I really kind of hate the the message that this episode sends. <laughs> like, by, by the time we get to the end of it, I kind of hate the, the message that this episode sends because, like, is it bad that Abby is drinking at all? Yes. Is it bad that Carter, as her, as a person, not even as a romantic partner of hers, but just as a person in her life, is it bad that Carter is concerned for her? No. Is he going about it in quite possibly the most sanctimonious, self-interested way I could possibly imagine? Yes. <laughs> like, he is, he's sort of almost making her relapsing about him about him right like he's he's going about it in the most sanctimonious fucked up woe is me kind of way ab about it and what i hate this is jumping ahead to the end of the episode but what i hate the most about it is that by the end the 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 episode is like practically yelling in your face that carter is right like the episode is practically screaming at you by the end that no carter's right and abby's the one that needs to atone I need you all to know I am making the angriest Muppet face at Daniel right now because this whole thing makes me so mad. It's just, 
Aren't you always making that face at Okay, but especially the angriest, not an angry, the angriest Muppet face. But like, okay. you know, just the, 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 the conversation they have at her daughter at the end of the episode. <gasps> like, it's just... Where she's basically like, I'm sorry, I won't do it anymore. Like, it's just like, bleh. Like, ah. Like, and I know, I know that a lot of this is just season nine anti-Carter bias. And I know I'm, I know I'm looking at things through that lens. And Abby's not perfect. And it's like I said, Abby, Abby relapsing to any degree is not healthy and is not good. But I just hate the way that he's going about this. And I hate the way that the episode is like basically taking his side and like co-signing everything that he's doing and being like yeah she needs to atone she's the one that's wrong it's just like it's a little bit more nuanced than that but okay man go off it just i'm just mad about i'll just be mad over here mad about the (laughs) that's that's the biggest offense no it's it's all awful this whole thing is awful like again carter's fine in general season nine is gonna be fine but this shit it just makes me so mad. Just, mm, 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 mm. Sorry. Just... Cabby at its finest. Carby? Carby, excuse me. Cabby just sounds better to me. Oh, no. Carby sounds stupid as fuck, but it's what we're going with. Um, Carby at its finest. That, yeah, well, let's, that, let's, that sounds like a Disney movie. Let's just watch the car crash happen. And from there, Abby is giving Chen the rundown on the shift change. And Luca is talking to Marlene's mom about the prognosis. And um, Abby kind of talks to the girl about why she may be sick. I hate this part. Right? It's so out of left field, too. This this part, like this girl, she doesn't get on the shitty kids list because this is not her fault. But the way this girl delivers this, (laughs) it's so... It, was it just me or was it kind of horror movie levels of weird, the sincerity that she... It's so out of left field. She goes... Out of nowhere, like, this girl has been so normal this whole episode. And then she goes, maybe the reason I'm sick is so I can bring them back together. And Abby's like, you know, I'm sorry. Things are scary. Hold on, Lizzie. Let me finish my creepy line read. And then she just goes, I really think this could fix everything. I think, I like, yes, this is creepy. But I think that this is this girl trying to find some silver oh. lining and the fact that she's going to be fighting for her life oh. because her kidneys are broken. Absolutely. Like, but does... Having to get dialysis, having to get a kidney transplant. This, this girl's life has changed forever after today. So I think she's just trying to search for some meaning in the universe. Like, and comes out a little hopeful, tries to come out a little na- uh, hopeful naivety. Like, yeah teenagers are want to do you're absolutely right but this was fucking horrifying go yeah, on it, it is i don't know and, and and i i will maybe buy your justification for it a little bit lizzie but i don't know i just found the whole thing bizarre and out of left field like there's been no indica- i'm just trying to no, give sure. it the benefit of the but doubt but there's been no indication this whole episode that this girl harbors any sort of like hope that her parents might get back together or she like, she says a little bit like oh yeah it's a bummer like there's a little bit there maybe but I, if you really squint but like i just uh, it was such a strange and this whole storyline i mean it, it it again Oh, it, this is not the first time this has happened, and and it won't be the last, certainly. But like a lot of times with these storylines, it does sort of feel like they they th- had an idea for a scenario or a moment, and then they work backwards from there and try to try to craft the larger bits of the storyline around said scenario or said moment. And I feel like in this case, it was what if Luca banged a patient's mom, 
And then it was like, let's craft the story around that. They didn't go and have, oh, we have this really well-fleshed-out, well-told storyline, and what if we just threw this wackety-schmackety in there, you know, she gets, you know, a little bit of Croatian stanky. Like, we just, like, (laughs) we just, you know, I I don't know. Like, it just feels like they were working backwards from the bit and not the other way around, telling the story and then using the bit to garnish. It just. And I'm sorry, what about Croatian sensation? No, that's what he that's what he calls his penis. All right, fair. I try. All right, anyway, Susan we go to our next scene here. Susan's hauling a ca- the cactus into the lounge. Carrie tells her to let her know if Abby isn't, you know, doing nurse manager things. So then Susan asks about the syringe, and we find out that Carrie is taking hormones. Hmm. I love how she said it and just like, okay, good night. <laughs> right. Wonder what that could be for. Mm. How are things going with Sandy, do we think? Uh, and <laughs> another great line read here is she comes back out to admit and uh, talks to Gallant and says, I understand you were involved in an altercation today. And uh, says, you struck another doctor? And Gallant kind of like, you know, hanging his head. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, it was Dr. Pratt. And then she's like, ah, well, in that case, I'll overlook it. <laughs> and then we get our our, you know a little bit of pratt and gallant making peace uh and uh then then after that we pratt breaks off from gallant as gallant leaves for the day and we see that pratt is the one that has been double feeding all the fish and killing them and uh it's a nice nice little closing of the loop on that all right uh now let's go to our last scene of the episode and our last audio clip as well abby's getting home when carter's being a creep Comes in from around the corner. You should have your keys already out. You never know who might be lurking. Look, the drinking... The drinking is the drinking. You know where I stand on that. It's just how far are we going to go if we keep hiding from each other. I won't hide anymore. I didn't mean to leave like that. It just seemed kind of complicated. And I wanted a little time to figure out where we were. I'm with Daniel on this. Just he was going to make an eh, like so, if so, any, so many. If any, if any man I was remotely involved with walked up behind me when I was going into my house and said, you should really have your keys out. You never know who might be there. Who's, like, yes, who's that's, been assaulted before? Not right. that yeah. long say, ago, by the way. Let's say that's sound advice to begin with. But I'm screaming, like, though. my dude, no. Yeah. I would, and then Carter, to kiss him, I would mace him just for fun, like. <laughs> but 
like, there's so many things about this. Uh, there's so many things about this that upset me. First of all, I didn't talk about it in the, the previous scene where they were on the train platform. They do a really nice transition where she goes like, uh, you know, don't leave, whatever, don't get on the train, blah, 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 blah. Train pulls into the station, pulls out, and and, and, he, gone. and he's gone. And we just see Abby. But it's a really nice transition there. Does slightly undermine his point when he comes here and is like, well, I didn't mean to leave like that. Motherfucker, you got on a train. Like, you meant to leave, okay? Like, <laughs> you don't accidentally get on a train. Like, it just, it, that's not how that works. So, the, the, you know. But, like I said earlier, I really, really, really hate the message that this episode sends. And I really hate... It's particularly her tone in this exchange where she's just like, I'm sorry, I won't do it anymore. Stand up for yourself, woman. Like, he, get rid of this loser, first of all. Like, <laughs> he sucks. He's the worst. <laughs> like, just, ugh. It's so mopey. And, like, this again, I was watching this episode with Jen. And, like, they get to when the little, like, normally, you know, and, and, and once, always, and forever, I, I will always be a Martin Dovich stan. But Martin, respectfully... Shut the fuck up. Like, we don't need you right now. <laughs> like, we don't need that right now. <laughs> and, like, as soon as that score starts to tw- just trickle in there towards the end and they have that, like, longing no. look into each other's eyes, Jen was sitting next to me on the couch and she just goes, shut the fuck up. Like, she just, <laughs> she was just like, she was like, these two are, like, high schoolers. Like, it's right? so, it's so childish. I, I just, I, I hate it. I just wanted to know where we stand. On your front steps. Go inside. Hey, hey, Lizzie, in honor of Pride Month, where do we stand? Uh, we're gay. Okay, cool. Just checking. <laughs> that was easy. See, guys, that's all it has to be. You don't have to go up on people's stairs and be weird about it. Certainly, and we're being gay Certainly together. don't come out of the shadows and be like, you never know who's lurking. No. <laughs> Red flag. Lauren's screen is dark right now. Red so. flag. But I'm not in the shadows. I'm well lit. I just, uh Hey. Oh, I'm gonna yeah, say yeah. seven out of ten, maybe yeah. six, maybe six, six point five. Yeah. yeah, yeah, six and a half, seven. Like it's it's fine. It's certainly watchable. Like there's there's certainly a lot uh, some good moments here. Mm-hmm. But like Daniel said at the top, it's really truly a filler it's, episode with it's, some gross gross stuff. Yeah, not, it's not, not, much not one I would emotionally. It's not one I would pick to just put on. No, it's it's not yeah. one that you need really. I mean, I think if I had to rank my like. My, my top performers this episode, I feel like my number one would be Gallant. I feel like this is, I feel like, I, now I will say, that's the one takeaway I can really, really pull out yes. of this episode is that I think it is the strongest Gallant episode to date. Mm, by far. Like, he, yep. he comes I would out, agree. he comes out looking the best out of the, out of this episode, out of any character. What? One could say he comes out swinging. There it is. Um, uh-huh. and, and then right, I would say maybe a notch below him, but, but close second would be Carrie. Carrie has a good episode just in terms of like in terms of performances maybe not necessarily what her character is doing but just like say so her character is confusing. Laura Innes is 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 bring brought her a game this episode like she has uh, you know the really the the good moment at the, the funny moment at the beginning with the um uh with the flu shots uh and just some of her line reads with Gallant and Pratt and the stuff with the cactus like she just there's there's good stuff in there. And then honestly third, I got to give it to Romano even though he's not in the episode. Like the thing with the cactus is just really funny. <laughs> and it produces such a great noise out of Laura Innes when she reads the card. <laughs> and it's just honestly like one of my favorite parts of the episode. But yeah, overall yeah. it's very middle of the road, very uneven, very just like ho hum, you know, just eh. 
could could this be a lot one better. where I'm on my phone the entire time while we're doing a rewatch. Yeah, it could be a lot better. Yeah. But Lauren, what the listeners have to say about it. Oh, yeah, that. Uh, David L. says, what really frustrates me with this episode and the whole Carter and Abby arc is if Carter really does love Abby, he would listen and trust her about her drinking. I think Abby brought up a good point, that she used to drink as a way to help her deal with her being miserable and in a shitty relationship with Richard. Also, I love anytime Abby brings up Maggie and says that it wasn't too bad. Um, Alina M says, I watched seasons six to nine of ER when it originally aired, and I didn't rewatch it until last year. All I could remember was Abby's annoying family and Abby and Carter's tedious relationship. Upon rewatching, I can't say I was far off with my memories. We're at episode four of the season, and there's already trouble in Carby Paradise. Carter blew Abby's cover. I have no doubts he did that deliberately. Uh. Leaving her at the L when she begged him to talk to her was harsh. On the other hand, Abby is in denial about her alcoholism. Two episodes ago, she was suggesting going to an AA meeting, and now it turns out she's drinking. Coming from a family of alcoholics, I would be hesitant to get into a a relationship with someone who downplays their alcoholism. So I understand why Carter was upset about her not being open about it to him. But I do think he overreacted, like usual. I love Susan before she gets all these dumb storylines of Las Vegas marriages and going to patients' homes. She's kind, supportive, non-judgmental, and perceptive. Except, as a patient, I wouldn't want to be treated by a physician with a terrible hangover. But fortunately, Susan was only occupied with her colleagues. Gallant's story was good, but I can't say I agree with the message that you have to stand your ground. Maybe people shouldn't be such assholes and listen to you. Romano, how brilliant is he if he is the funniest of the episode and he's not even in it? Grace B says, This episode always makes me think of this song by one of my favorite bands, Tidelines. Uh, link here, plug to all of our UK's particularly Scottish friends. I continue to be angry about Carby ruining this otherwise fabulous friendship, and I don't understand how Luca still has a job. Also, these child actors this week are fabulous. The crying child, he ate that shit for breakfast. Unless you've acted, you can't appreciate how difficult crying like that and making it believable is. Good on him. And Marlene was just fabulous. Lauren, I love you, but I will fight you. Hey, hey, I didn't (laughs) shit on either of them this episode. Editorial note, uh, you'll notice that I was gracious. And back to the listener, petition to nominate Kaysen for the Dr. Dickhead Award because fuck him just looking oh, wow we're not ending with Aaron today um at M- weird okay we're ending with last but certainly not least it feels weird to not say full-time dad but at mtm says i had zero recollection of this episode with the exception of luca sleeping with a patient's mom i knew it happened at one point but i didn't remember that it happened in this episode I guess that means that nothing about this episode was worth remembering, aside from the one thing I really don't want to remember because it is cringeworthy, very unprofessional, and shows what a terrible place Luca is in the season nine. Carter outing Abby was also cringeworthy. You can't just assume that someone knows that your girlfriend has a drinking problem. I felt so sorry for Abby, who had who had to have that clearly very awkward conversation with Susan. Plus, Abby should not have been okay with being outed like that. That's just sloppy writing. Special effects, 
The rain when Abby and Carter were talking in the ambulance bay was awful. It was clearly just raining just here and there. My husband laughed out loud when he saw it. I had to try very hard to find something I liked about this episode. I found two things. Gallant and Abby with the girl with kidney failure. They seem to have good chemistry. The rest of the episode is a hot and forgettable mess. Meh. That's, yeah, okay. Seems right. <clears throat> well, not our Pride Month. I uh, completely forgot to do this two weeks ago. I was planning on saying something. But, um, but obviously, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. More and more of you have been, have been choosing the annual option, which Thank is you. fantastic. It saves you $10 and gives you a whole year's worth of our extra nonsense, movie reviews, extra podcasts, uh, stickers, all that fun stuff. But if you don't want to give us money uh, for Pride Month, we would highly suggest you donate some funds to your local, whatever local organization that you have that supports LGBTQIA plus people in your neighborhood honestly all of us are kind of under heavy fire i mean trans people especially people like me my sister my brother's sisters and non-binary pals like we're we're it's it's getting bad folks we're being outlawed in several states um like i legally cannot go like i legally cannot go to florida anymore without fear of being arrested and that's that's a pretty big deal so we highly, highly encourage you to donate one, five, ten, twenty dollars, however much you can, you think you can spare, to whatever local organization. Here in Chicago, I know Howard Brown does a lot of outreach and does a lot of support for the local community, as uh, problematic as they are. I just want to add, if you're not sure where would be reputable places to donate. You can reach out to us on Facebook, and we can give you some larger ones to donate to, maybe. Yes. Or, uh, Lizzie, do you mind if I transition into the other option they have for giving on Please. a smaller scale? The Go other ahead. thing that we did last year that I didn't learn Daniel had never turned off, any of the STT Pride shirts that you order from Bonfire, those profits do not come to us. I don't know why I'm pointing at myself. They actually go directly to a designated charity. It's Daniel, the... did we have it set to Howard yeah, Brown? Howard or Brown. uh Yep, so they, the, the purchases of those shirts as of right now and, you know, all through the year, whenever you get them, the Pride merch, it goes directly to a Chicago area organization that has directly, I know, helped Lizzie a lot and the trans community at large. Obviously, they have struggles, as most nonprofits do, but they're by far one of the largest providers of trans-friendly and queer-friendly healthcare in Chicago. And for anybody who wasn't listening last June when we launched those, we don't we don't promote the merch store as much as we probably sh- probably should. It's there. It's I should it's, throw in a, a link in every episode yeah, description, like I'm going to do for this it's on one. The, it's on the link tree. If you follow us on Instagram, just click on the link tree. There's a link to the Bonfire store. But... I tried to make it as like literally as inclusive as I possibly could. Like there is a there's it's, it's not just rainbow capitalism. There's a little bit of rainbow capitalism in there, but like it, I've, there is a bisexual, there's a transgender pride, there is a asexual. Like there is literally every one that I was able to find last year that had its own pride flag. I tried to make a shirt for. So like you can find something that fits your particular specifications in there and i tried to put them in a variety of styles too because i know some people prefer like long sleeve stuff they or they have like 
uh, other cultural or religious things that prevent them from wearing short sleeve stuff. Like, so just like, there's something in there for everybody. And, and we are not taking any profits out of that. That is all strictly go like bonfire. I'm sure will still take their cut, but it, the rest of it, what would normally come to us all goes to that charity and all goes to supporting actual on the ground health, health and, and being care for people in marginalized communities. So, yep. And I will say again, that is year round. We do not only do that in June. We keep forgetting to tell people about it. Right. But yeah, yeah, any yeah. of the pride shirts. I never, I never turned that, I, I never turned that option off after June last yeah. year. So, like so, anybody who's bought a pride shirt in the last 12 months, your money went to that organization. It didn't go to us. Yep. And that's going to continue to be the case. We're not just going to do rainbow capitalism for one month and then turn those off. So, yeah. if you can't afford one this month and you still want one, those are going to stay up, and you can grab one whenever. It'll still go to a good cause. Yeah. So we love you. Happy Pride. I will throw that link down in the episode description on your favorite podcast app. Just click it and bring it up on your phone. You'll be, you'll be all good. Uh, we love you. We'll see you next time. Bye.